Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 13,000 dead, the vast majority of them women and children, in just 40 days. 60 journalists slain, though scarcely a journalist in the Western world has even commented upon it. More than 50,000 wounded, the vast majority of them women and children. Thousands still buried under the rubble. If you are still supporting this, you are a psychopath who should not be walking among us. And that includes the vast majority of politicians in the parliaments and assemblies of the Western world. And Joe Biden has a bad trip in San Francisco. It can happen, apparently. He goes gaga on camera, calls his guest a dictator, and thinks that's going to improve relations between the United States and China. And Russia has a massive economic surplus after a total economic war has been waged against them for a year and a half. By comparison, our economies are doing well. Meh. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. After occupying the Al-Shifa hospital for almost a week, Israel declares that it has found a 55-meter tunnel. They didn't have time to dig anymore, and the concrete will have to dry before the media can be allowed to inspect it. 55 meters isn't much of a tunnel. Do the maths. I'm not sure where that tunnel would take you. It is, of course... A huge hoax. The entire Al-Shifa hospital story, vouched for by Joe Biden, making him jointly and severally responsible for the massacre of the Al-Shifa hospital that will go down in history like the extermination of the Warsaw Ghetto itself. It was a casus belli announced from the beginning. They said that the Hamas leadership was inside the Al-Shifa hospital, though no trace of any of them has been found. They said the armed men were running the hospital, though no armed men existed. Only dead bodies of men, women, and children, doctors, nurses, and technicians. It is a war crime of unimaginable proportions. And yet the Western politicians continued to support it until the last drop of blood was shed on the floor of the wards, of the clinics, of the children's wards, 
of the Al-Shifa hospital. No one will ever forget this crime. No one who supported it will ever be allowed to forget it either. And in any case, they've moved on. Their, uh, their Sheikh Radwan uh, hospital, uh, children's ward, the pediatric ward, was bombed today. Maybe the Hamas leaders in their 55-meter tunnel still wet, the concrete still glistening. Maybe they escaped to Sheikh Radwan. Maybe they escaped to the Indonesia hospital. Maybe they escaped to the Sheikh Zayed hospital. Why not? They bombed and destroyed virtually every single hospital in the Gaza Strip. In any case, Israel has already announced that the leaders of Hamas are not now in the hospitals. They are in the south of Gaza, in Khan Yunus, the very place that Israel stampeded a million people to go and live under the stars as the weather turns filthy, as being safer than being in the north. Well, if the Hamas leaders are now in the south, the same kind of genocidal bombardment visited on the north of the Gaza Strip will now be visited on the south. I want to remind you, because not enough people know this, the Gaza Strip is 25 miles long. It is three and a half miles wide. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. A million people are now homeless. Their houses destroyed. 13,000 people dead. 5,500 of them, children, never voted for anybody in their puff. There hasn't been an election in Gaza since 2006, meaning statistically the vast majority of those murdered in this genocidal rampage have never voted for anybody, even if it was acceptable to murder someone because of how they voted these media outlets still describing this as the Israel-Hamas war are themselves committing a war crime for which Streicher was executed at the Nuremberg Tribunal for his contribution through Der Sturmer, the Nazi filth rag in the encouragement of the Holocaust, which massacred six million Jews, millions of others, and led to the Second World War, in which nearly a hundred million people died. It's a crime. It is a war crime to encourage genocide, even if only with your pen, even if only with your microphone, even if only on your auto cue. It is a crime. And all these people are jointly culpable for it. Everybody now knows that the Hamas headquarters was not in the Al-Shifa hospital, even imagining that they have a headquarters at all. From the guerrilla videos that I have seen, they're giving the invading Israeli forces a bloody good hiding in the alleyways of Gaza. Why would they need a command and control center anywhere? let alone under a hospital, that the director begged, repeatedly begged the United Nations to come and inspect to prove the lie that somehow Hamas 
were underneath this hospital. This is not, of course, the only information crime that has been committed. All those, including some very eminent British and American journalists who pervade the lie that 50 babies had been beheaded by the Hamas infiltrators into Israel on October 7th, now stand completely shamed forevermore. Only one baby was killed on October the 7th. And who killed that baby is still a moot point because it is now admitted that which I said at the beginning and was treated to hundreds of threats for doing so. The Israeli armed forces killed a very significant number of the 900 to 1,200 people who died on the 7th of October. I give that range because I'm predicting here now that 900 people died, Israelis, and 300 Palestinians died. That's my best guess on the information we have at this moment. So 900 Israelis, not 1,400 Israelis, not nearly 2,000 Israelis, and not 50 beheaded babies, one dead baby, not beheaded. The Israeli state has accepted uh, that it has no evidence of anybody being raped on October the 7th. The Israeli state, the police no less, have admitted today that Israeli Apache helicopters shelled and rocketed uh, the Trans Music Festival and conceded that the Hamas and other resistance organizations who invaded on that day their ancient homeland had no idea of any festival going on in the shadow of the suffering and misery of Gaza. All those cars that we were treated to endlessly on our mass media burned husks with burned people inside them were turned into burned husks by Apache helicopters flown by Israeli pilots who recklessly as ever simply killed anything that moved or might look like it had moved. The concentration camp breakout on October the 7th was bloody to be sure any concentration camp breakout was bound to be bloody. The people ultimately responsible are the people who kept the keys to the concentration camp decade after decade after decade. The people revolted because they could not breathe. Shiva Hospital was a lie. Uh, the beheaded babies was a lie, but some things are indisputably true. One of them is that 60 Palestinian and other national journalists have been systematically murdered in 40 days. 60 in 40 days. Now you may think that dropping 2,000 pound bombs in refugee camps 
and on schools. 500, 500 died yesterday in a United Nations school. 500, most of them children and women, in a school, in an instant, were incinerated yesterday. None of them were Hamas. None of them was targeted specifically. It was just a very big bomb dropped on a defenseless school building. You may say that that's why these journalists were killed, but I beg to differ. There's a systematic attempt being made to assassinate every journalist, every photojournalist, everyone responsible for bringing us the images that have changed all of our lives forever. Well, I can only speak for myself. I cannot look at a child now without imagining the children that I've just been looking at, torn limb from limb, their heads excavated of their contents, their limbs literally coming apart at the touch. I am unable to live and function normally now and maybe forevermore as a result of what I have seen. So I have another conclusion here. Either the people responsible for Western support for this genocide are not watching these videos, in which case they are miserable, gutless cowards, or they are watching them and pressing on regardless, in which case they are demonic, satanic demons that should not be at large, never mind at large and running our affairs. The Arab states are headed for China. They are going to China first to try and bring about an end to this genocidal madness, which can only end in the consuming of all of us physically and psychologically and economically, can only lead to the overthrow of regimes in the Arab and Muslim world thought by their people to be in any way complicit, even collaborating with this slaughter of the innocent. So the kings and the emirs are scurrying to China first, not Washington, not London, not Paris, but China. And they're right to do so. China must step up to its responsibility as the second greatest power in the world and try to end this helter-skelter, which may in the end consume us all. And I believe that the Chinese leader in San Francisco this week showed the kind of poise and sagacity that renders him more than capable of stepping up to the mark. He arrived for the APEC conference, San Francisco 2023. If you'll forgive me, like a visiting king, regal, poised, sophisticated, calm, collected, and my goodness, his interlocutor stooped to the occasion. Joe Biden turned left when he should have turned right, stood up when he should have sat down, 
left when he should have stayed, stayed when he should have left, looked like a demented old fool, jumped up out of his seat unannounced and went staggering round to Xi Jinping and started talking to him in English with no translator present. I tell you, this man is unhinged and he's in charge of your world, my world. It's the Chinese tradition to be, well, more than generous in their respect of elderly people. But it was tough with Joe Biden, who looked for all the world like Chance the Gardener in Peter Sellers' last and greatest film being there. That was Joe Biden just being there. The icing on the cake has to be the describing of his guest in his presence as a dictator after having struggled at great expense and effort to try and repair his relations with China. In this, in their, in their interest, the interests of the American plutocrats who were queuing up to meet Xi Jinping. The interest of the world that requires not another global war over Taiwan. The interests of the ASEAN region filled with American allies who would be the first casualties of the conflict between America and China going hot, going nuclear. After having done all that, Joe Biden described the Chinese president as a dictator in his presence. And they imagine that anything will ever be the same again. The Russian economy is booming. It's official. Russia has turned in an $87 billion budget surplus. Its economy is booming. Local industries have taken over the markets, even the premises, sometimes with a little artistic shift, even the logos of the Western countries that marched out of Russia under Joe Biden's orders a year and a half ago. The Russian economy is booming. The Western economy is sinking. In Britain, everybody here from Britain and this audience knows exactly what I'm talking about. Britain is about to become a freezing hellhole of poverty, of unemployment, of social, cultural, religious, and political strife. We have a government of Rishi Sunaks and Suella Bravermans and all the other motley crew. My goodness, aren't they the answer to the identitarian politicians? If only we had more black people in office. If only we had more women in office. We've got a cabinet chock full of black and Asian people, many of them women, and it is the worst most incompetent, most venal cabinet 
that I can remember in my long political life. But in Germany, you would not believe the state of affairs in Germany. I've got a couple of videos to show you that I hope help to bring what's happening in Germany under your attention. You know, you go to prison for saying stop the genocide in Germany today. You know that having a Palestinian flag on a demonstration is a crime in Germany. And here's the pièce de résistance if the Germans who invaded France three times in 70 years will forgive my French. New citizens in Germany will have to sign an oath, an oath of allegiance to the Reich. Not the German Reich, the Israeli Reich. Correct me if I'm wrong, but no other country in the entire history of the world has required its citizens to pledge their allegiance not to their own country, but to another country somewhere else. We've got great guests lined up for you tonight. It is the mother of all talk shows. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Our favorite professor, George Samueli from Hungary, is here to talk about that and other stories. And I'm very glad to welcome him. George, uh, Dr. George, thank you for joining us. Am I right in that prediction that the war is coming to an end and uh, soon our uh, leaders will be, uh, at least uh, on the face of it, wondering what we're talking about when we uh, raise the issue of the great economic war we in Europe launched against Russia, only to have it turned into a very large boomerang that came back and hit us in the face. Well, it would be nice to think that uh, you are right. I don't know. Um... The uh, the Americans and the NATO gang uh, in Europe um, will find it very hard to uh, admit defeat. Uh, they are going to do their damnedest to continue this war for as long as possible, because as far as they are concerned, 
this is a good deal for them. Um, it keeps the American military industrial complex humming. Um, it's relatively uh, low on casualties as far as the United States is concerned. In fact, it has zero casualties as far as the United States is concerned. And when they look upon this war, they say, well, okay, we've got uh, Ukrainians dying, but they don't care very much about that. We've got Russians dying. That brings them pleasure, as um, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham st said ecstatically. So they will want to keep it going for as long as possible to get to kill as many Slavs as possible. So that's why the, 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 the longer this war goes on, then, you know, the fewer Slavs there are uh, to uh, worry about. So I'd like to think that this war is coming to an end, but I wouldn't put it past um, uh, the Americans just to uh, keep it going for that much longer. Well, the, uh, that would require the Ukrainians to keep on fighting and dying, of course. And there are uh, ample signs. Just today, our, uh, an Air Force commander flew his $100 million fighter jet given by the American taxpayer. Uh, he flew it to Russia uh, and surrendered it and himself. Uh, the number of people surrendering on the battlefield is increasing. The uh, uh, inability to replace the fallen uh, with new conscripts is drying up. Uh, anyone with money has already fled Ukraine in order to avoid their military duty. And the inner circle is showing signs of tiring with Zelensky. That's true. All, all of that is true. But the extraordinary thing is that Ukraine has kept this war going for as long as it has, because you know, as you said earlier, there was no way Ukraine could ever win this war. That was just the numbers never made any sense. I mean, Russia is four times the size. Russia, unlike Ukraine, has a uh, a military industry, um, and uh, you know, Russia Russia can uh, is a is a strong, uh, self reliant economy. You would have thought, and I guess this is probably what the Russian leaders were thinking uh, back in February of last year, that Ukraine will realize. What a foolish enterprise this is to to wage a war that uh, Ukraine cannot win. But for some reason, Ukraine has foolishly continued fighting. So it may well be that Ukraine is on its last legs. At some point, it will have to be on its last legs. Um, but you know, I, I always want to just be a little bit cautious. They're still able to put some uh, men into the field. So I I wouldn't be surprised if it'll go on for at least a little while longer. George, turning uh, a little, though the same uh, elements are involved, uh, the, the European Union's leaders, uh, luckily for them, the EU leaders themselves don't have to be elected by anyone. I shudder to think what uh, von der Leyen would poll in uh, a European-wide poll, or even uh, Borrell. Uh, they don't have to be elected. They are appointed and give themselves plenty potentiary powers. I mean, von der Leyen, on the face of it, has no say over European Union foreign policy, although she's all the while making it uh, ex-cathedra uh, wherever she goes or turns her attention to. But the, the elected European leaders, uh, I, I'm in Berlin, uh, Schultz is on 12 percent, 12, 
and he's the chancellor of Germany. His bonkers Baerbock uh, riding partner, the Green uh, leader, is, is sitting on only a tiny bit more. Uh, the uh, British government of Rishi Sunak, I mean, uh, again, it, it's almost laughable, the powerless state of Western European governments, but they plough on regardless, don't they? In defiance now of their own people, uh, of, for example, a ceasefire in Gaza. Why? How? It's quite striking. I, I, I don't remember any time um, in recent history when there's been such a disjunction between uh, popular opinion and the opinion of uh, political elites. And that's true in the United States and it's true in Europe. We, both in the United States and in Europe, um, they want the wars in Ukraine and the war in Gaza to come to an end. There's an overwhelming uh, support for a ceasefire in Gaza. And yet, when it comes to a voting Congress, something like uh, you know, 96, 97 percent of the members of Congress, and then both the House and the Senate, will uh, vote for no ceasefire. You know, at best, the humanitarian pause, which is a kind of a uh, complete uh, oxymoron. Um, and the same goes uh, in Europe. I mean, you never, never see any de anti-Russian demonstration. You never see a demonstration in favor of uh, Zelensky. The Europeans and the Americans think this is a crazy idea. The war should have come to an end. But that's not the view of von der Leyen. It's not the view of uh, Sergeant Schultz and uh, Baerbock and Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson uh, and, and Liz Truss and the rest of the gang. Um, they want to keep the war going. Then you have to think, well, there's something in it for them. You know, there's there's money, there's uh, prestige, there are all kinds of uh, academic gigs uh, for uh, to uh, when they uh, leave office, um, uh, seats on various boards. That's what they care about. And the, the public says, let's bring the, both of these wars to an end and let's bring, especially in Europe, let's bring these nutty economic sanctions to an end. Yes, these sanctions uh, are now going to uh, bite us big time over what is expected to be a very cold winter, George. I explained the economic situation in Germany as best I could in a moment. Uh, the, the situation on the street in Germany, it looks really dire, I must tell you. It, the people are miserable. There's no heating on anywhere, even in department stores, it's cold. Uh, the people can't afford the vast hike in energy costs that they have suffered as a result of these sanctions and the blowing up uh, of the pipeline. And of course, it was famously said, if, uh, if Germany catches cold, uh, the rest of the economies in Europe will get influenza or worse. Uh, how are we going to cope with this? Well, we can't. Um, the uh, the key to European success since 1945 has been German economic success. You know, Germany used to be very good at uh, fighting wars. It's forgotten how to do that, but it's been very good at creating a, a very productive economy, the Wirtschaftswunder. That's been its pride and joy. I mean, it's boasted about this uh, for the past uh, near 80 years. That's gone. I mean, that you know, with the, with the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines, they just don't have 
any source of cheap energy anymore. If they don't have any source of cheap energy, they're not going to be able to maintain their fantastic industries, all those cars and uh, uh, consumer appliances and pharmaceuticals and uh, chemicals, all the things that gave German industry this enormous uh, global reputation, they're, they're all going to go. So it's not just people are going to be miserable because they don't have any heating in their homes. They're just not going to have a productive economy any longer. And the Americans are very happy. I mean, that's exactly what they wanted. They just want to remove um, all rivals um, from the scene. What's baffling about it is why the Germans allowed themselves to be put in this position. I mean, the Germans would surely have understood that this is what the Americans want. The Americans want you out of the way and cease to be a competitor to them. I mean, Trump at least made that explicit. Um, but with Biden, I mean, it's been obvious. I mean, we had that humiliating scene where Sergeant Schultz was standing there next to Biden and Biden said, we are going to end the Nord Stream pipelines. And when he was asked, well, how are you going to do that? He said, well, don't worry, we're going to do it. And Schultz said nothing, just sat, you know, stood there like a dummy. I mean, can you imagine any German chancellor being humiliated in public like this? You know, he's holding the office that Bismarck held. And that that's the or you know, could Willy Brandt or Helmut Schmidt or more recent times. That's that's Germany today. Now, turning finally to San Francisco, uh, George, winners, losers, did anything useful come out of it? It was a PR victory for China. But I'm not sure that America's policy has changed towards them. No, I don't think it has. I think um, Biden made clear, you know, with, with his uh, dictator comment, um, basically, you know, that he's still sticking with his, his mindless division of the world between uh, democracies and uh, autocracies. Um, and, uh, he's, uh, you know, he basically the United States has really very little to contribute to the world. But I, I agreed with your um, opening editorial. China has yet to pull its weight in the world. I mean, it's a, it's a problem when, you know, Russia is doing all the heavy lifting on, on many different issues. And uh, China, you know, at best kind of um, follows along. But, you know, China is a huge economic power. It's obviously an, an enormous uh, country. Um, it has to, you know, to step up and it has to provide the, uh, an alternative model for the rest of the world. You can't just expect always Russia to be in the in the forefront. So, um, you know, it, you know, he comes there and he wants a, you know, good uh, peace, good relations um, with the United States. And then, you know, he gets all these 400, the top 400 uh, corporate leaders in the United States who give him a standing ovation. I mean. What do they want? They just simply want to go to China and make a lot of money. That's where that's a, it's just a source of cheap labor for them. And, um, you know, China has to be a little bit more than that. Can't just go on essentially providing, uh, you know, U.S. corporate titans with a source of cheap labor. So, you know, either it's going to be a kind of the pole of a, of a new world order or it's just going to be, a, you know, an appendage of the United States. Thank you very much, as always, Dr. George Samueli from uh, Budapest and the uh, Senior Research Fellow at the Global Policy Institute. Always a pleasure and a privilege. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Don't forget to...
subscribe to the channel and to press the thumbs up to show that you like the show. Not for reasons of vanity, but to influence big algorithm who's always trying to suppress, distort, and in extremis lock out uh, the voices of the righteous, one of whom is Garland Nixon, who joins us now from the United States. He's been uh, harassed, harried, and uh, and cancelled so many times on different branches of social media. I've quite lost track. All I know is I myself am missing his output. And I know from my own social media that many people are also. So, Garland Nixon, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's, uh, of course, not the most important issue, but just bring us up to date on where your own profile is now. Uh, are you still locked out of Twitter? What can we do to influence it if you are? No, um, actually, yes, I still am locked out of my Twitter. Again, Twitter um, has, uh, you know, the last thing that happened was they instructed me that the account that I've had since uh, 2009, the account that I actually pay for, I paid for an entire year um, for a verified account. They've instructed me that they cannot verify that I own that account. And so I'm locked out of that account. account. They've uh, told me that um, I'm free to open another account, which how would they verify me with the second one? I don't know, but I am uh, getting closer to taking the action necessary to get this situation adjudicated, and I'll just leave it at that. You don't want us to uh, get involved, but just tell us uh, when you do, and we'll mobilize the masses uh, to uh, bring the case uh, in front of the people who need to uh, know about it. Let's turn first uh, to San Francisco. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair as uh, the song went long before you were born. I now realize from the lack of recognition in your eyes at my metaphor, but it is a zany kind of place. And Joe Biden was in particularly zany form. Perhaps it was the haze, uh, the marijuana haze in the city. Uh, How do you account for Joe Biden's behavior at the conference? Well, I mean, certainly, uh, if you look at the conference there, the person that, you know, of all people to really pity, I felt sorry for uh, Anthony Blinken. Certainly the uh, it was it was very interesting summit in that the a number of oligarchs, Tim Cook was there and Elon Musk, and they all gave Xi Jinping a standing ovation, making it clear that um, a large faction of the ruling elite is making a great profit off of the Chinese um uh, market and they, and they certainly don't screw that up. Um, I think that was extremely important, uh, an important aspect of that conference. But then, of course, needless to say, at some point when the, a microphone was stuck in front of Joe Biden, he again referred to Xi Jinping as a dictator and made a fool of himself. I think when I look at that, you know, my immediate reaction is the ruling elite are actually mocking us. You know, to put Joe Biden out there and to pretend that he is in charge of anything, that he is making decisions is a mockery of politics and it insults our intelligence when we all know better. So it again raises the question that we all ask, who really is calling the shots? Because Joe Biden is uh, clearly confused. It, It appears that they had discussed the issues with him beforehand. And I suspect that when he got in front of the camera, he just uh, blurted out the first thing that came to his addled brain. Dazed and confused, uh, he may be, but uh, you may well have him 
for another five years, even if he has to be pickled uh, and a stick put up his back to keep him upright. Uh, can the American rulers really be serious about running this man for election again uh, next November? Well, you know, it is remotely possible, but I don't see how they can do it. We can certainly see that Gavin Newsom is the person who set up this summit. He's the one who went to um, China and met with Xi Jinping. He's the one who welcomed people when they got there. So certainly um, there is a move amongst the ruling elite to replace Joe Biden with Gavin Newsom. Um, certainly Donald Trump is leading by far in the Republican um, race. And the likelihood is that if he were to go against Joe Biden, again, I can't see how they can Joe Biden couldn't do a debate against Donald Trump or anyone else. So I don't know how much longer they can hide this thing. But uh, Donald Trump, to me, would certainly be the person who would likely win. The only issue being the ruling elite don't want Donald Trump. And I find it hard to believe that since we have no democracy whatsoever in this country, that um, the people of the Republican Party who want Donald Trump will be able to um, have their wishes granted. I just see the ruling elite using all machinations they possibly can to stop Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, you uh, inadvertently, from my point of view, uh, open up, if you like, the big enchilada there, Garland. To what extent is it possible to continue to describe our countries, yours, mine, Germany, uh, perhaps uh, in, in, in the front rank, as democracies? I mean, I, I'm so old, I remember when we endlessly sneered at the rest of the world. Uh, who had no free speech, whose police were apolitical, who had a civil service that was, was uh, neutral, that had a government uh, and an opposition, uh, which had opposition views, and, a, and a, a real dichotomy existed. We had a, a free press, in your case, guaranteed by the Constitution. Now we're overseeing the mass murder of journalists in Gaza. Julian Assange is rotting in a London jail, waiting to rot forever in an American jail. Uh, the, the media is virtually 100% behind the prevailing uh, orthodoxy. No one else can get a look in. If you go on a, on a protest, you're called the enemy, well then put on the FBI's uh, uh, lit watch list, uh, and you might well end up, you know, on a terrorism charge. It's, it's really a parody of democracy that we now, quote unquote, enjoy, isn't it? Yes, and, and they've actually turned democracy inside out. Um, if you look at the attack on protesters, you know, recently at the DNC headquarters in um, in uh, Washington, D.C., a group of protesters led by rabbis uh, protested in front of the DNC headquarters. Admittedly, they were mostly Democrats. They were the DNC headquarters was closed. They sent a bunch of goons out. They beat the devil out of these people. You can go on, um, you can go online and find the videos. They just mercilessly beat <laughs> the protesters, threw some of them downstairs. So not only do we not have a democracy, our government is at war with its constituents, does not represent the constituents. And it's obvious that the biggest fear in a totalitarian dictatorship, such as the one I live in, is uprising of the masses. And so now they're working to stop the masses from uprising because the masses are finally figuring out that these people do not represent them whatsoever.
In the, you mentioned the rabbis. I mean, one of the things that will stand out when the history of the last 40 days is written, and I suspect it will be writ large, uh, is the enormous importance, salience even, of American Jews in the demand for a ceasefire, a demand for justice in Palestine, a breach uh, with, uh, w with Netanyahu and his gang. Uh, this is all quite significant, isn't it? Yeah, and it's game over for Zionism. I think the reality is if you look at the international power brokers, the international finance people, Zionism is no longer of any value to them. Z Zionism is a problem to the people who run things and they are doing what they need to do. I think, um, you know, if you let me give you an example. If you look at Saudi Aramco, one of the most powerful corporations in the world, Amin Nasser is the CEO. Uh, I think it was J July, he joined the board of directors of BlackRock. So they are annihilating, they are destroying um, Palestine. But at some point, Palestine needs to be rebuilt, doesn't it? Right now, Ukraine's being destroyed, but at some point it needs to be rebu rebuilt. If you look at a BlackRock, they are now set for the rebuilding of Ukraine. And I would suspect that when it's time to rebuild, uh, I've said Palestine, when, it, when it's time to rebuild Gaza, you will see um, the Saudis, you will see BlackRock, um, set to uh, come in there also. So I suspect they're going to um, do away with the extremist leaders. One way or another, the extremist Zionist leaders of Israel will be out of power and uh, they will make their move to make a difference, to, to change um, the Middle East so that Zionism doesn't dominate it. Zionism doesn't cause all the conflict. And then they can, as MBS said once before, they can turn the Middle East into um, the New York. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they count on the fact that the, I don't want to put it too harshly, let's say uh, the collaborating Arab rulers uh, will forever be able to guarantee uh, um, quietude on the part of their countries. But that flies in the face of all human development. I mean, if you take a country like Jordan, for example, where the majority of the population are themselves Palestinian, and where another 20% of the population are actually Iraqi, Saddam loyalists, family members, everything, you've got a mix in which it's exceedingly unlikely that forever, uh, the people of Jordan can be kept quiet, tame partners of Netanyahu. Ditto in Saudi Arabia. I, I've never been inside uh, MBS's mind, but I'm pretty sure he's a smart guy. And that's why he's taking the kind of stance that he is taking, and he may have to take far more belligerent ones. So... From the point of view of these uh, oligarchs that you speak of, they're going to have to move and move and move their position if their people are going to remain in power. 
Well, I suspect, and and and, and I, you know, I see uh, MBS as a businessman, and quite frankly, a, a smart businessman. So, if we get away from the morals of what's happening here, which certainly we people like us are absolutely outraged over the death, and we consider the the lives of the innocent and the average person, but if we start talking about international finance, um, we just we look at I think at the end of this. Um, Con, when they are able to bring this conflict to a, to a close, I think they, they probably feel that if they're able to unseat the Netanyahu's Smotriches, Smotriches et al., they're able to bring in a more moderate um, wing of politics into Israel. They're able to do some type of a two-state solution or some, some kind of a resolution. They can then say to the Arab masses, we have finally resolved this. That can kind of quell the Arab masses. And then they can get to the part that is their real concern, which is as the international capital turns towards the global south, you know, the global south, Africa, et cetera, they can kind of see the Middle East as the doorstep to that, the Middle East as a place where they can bring in labor, they can do all kinds of things through the Middle East. But I see the um, connections between BlackRock and the leadership of Saudi Arabia as a very important factor that we should keep an eye keep an eye on. But I I, I don't think this thing spreads like a lot of people say do. I think ultimately what happens is they unseat the more radical um, wing of the Zionists in Israel and and try to bring this thing to a close so they can move forward and make money because that's what the real really the plan here. Lastly, Galland, and I'm always grateful for your time. Uh, where sits the the literati, the glitterati, the Hollywood chattering classes, the Me Too movement, uh, feminists galore, and all of that. Where sit they uh, on what's happening in Gaza? I mean, the, you know, the champions of women's rights seem to have been quite quiet about the mass murder of thousands of women and even more children. Uh, in the last 40 days. Where do the stars align uh, in this uh, conflict? Or are they too scared to stand up and be counted? You know, the sad place is they're waiting for directions from their masters. They're kind of being quiet. They see that um, there are certainly issues um, that could cause them, you know, a large, you know, let's face it, Hollywood's there to make money, though you wouldn't know it from the kind of movies that they're putting out these days. But they're waiting <laughs> to be directed um, by their masters. How, what do we move? You know, what do we do next? They don't want to offend too many people to stop stop themselves from selling tickets. So I think they're kind of sitting on their powder right now. They're now, for the most part, they're told to be quiet, wait till this thing blows over and we'll get ourselves together. I mean, you can look at the Marvel's movie, recent Marvel's flop movie that's coming out. People have had it up to here with the woke, you know, we're going to have all female superheroes that are diverse and all that kind of people are tired of that. They just want a good movie with some some aliens and some monsters and okay. things of that nature, like a good old fashioned movie. And so I, I just think they're they're um, uh, for Obviously, they seem to be lay, laying low and waiting for the heat to blow over. That's what I would say Hollywood's doing. Gala Nixon, simply a joy to be with you again. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Lee Jing Jing, one of our most popular guests ever on the Mother of All Talk Shows. You'll remember our uh, last, I think, from our epic show that we did from Beijing, joins us uh, now. I'm not sure from where, but I've no doubt you'll tell us, Lee, uh, the, um, the epic, epic in San Francisco, uh, provided me with quite a few laughs and not a few jokes. Uh, but I know that uh, for people like you, uh, it was far more serious than that. How do you view the entire experience in San Francisco? Thank you, George. Long time no see. Always such a pleasure to be on your show. Well, right now I'm at Los Angeles Airport. I have been in California for like eight or nine days already. I was in San Francisco covering the APEC meeting and also the our president and US president's meeting in the past few weeks. So I'm actually flying back to Beijing in one hour. So I've been observing the whole event, the whole meeting and the talking to people in America from all fields. And I think here are my takes. First, I think our president, President Xi really brought a message of peace, a message of cooperation, and a message for win-win cooperation to the United States. Um, I think this is probably one of the few good news that we have been hearing in recent months. And uh, I'm sure many thing, many people believe this is one of the good news. Uh, now that there are will, there are will from both sides to stabilize the tensions, stabilize the relations. I know China has always been depicted as a uh, aggressive force and is considered a threat. But if one really looks into what China's leader have been saying in multiple international occasions, the message has always been clear and consistent. China seeks peaceful development and a win-win solution and not interested in being a hegemony. So, I mean, uh, I'm not sure how many have read uh, the, the quotes from our leaders, I think those quotes really shows a friendly message. For example, President Xi said to the United States uh, at the, when he was delivering a wel- delivering a speech at the welcome dinner in San Francisco, he said, you know, major competition cannot solve the problems facing China and the United States or even the world. The world is the world is big enough to accommodate both countries and one country's success is opportunity for the other. And he also reassured to the United States, China does not have a plan to surpass or unseat the United States. Likewise, the United States should not scheme to surpass or contain China. And he really 
emphasize the message that as long as the two countries respect each other, coexist in peaceful and persevering cooperation, they will be fully capable of rising like about differences and find the right way for the two major countries to get along with each other. And disagreement should not be uh should be the 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 gap that keeps two countries apart. Instead, the two countries should look for ways to build bridges to help them walk towards each other. So I mean if you really carefully look into the message from China's leadership, they want to have friendship to to find agreements with the United States to work together. And I want to so well, so far uh, from was, our, uh, my he, observation. He he, he was yeah. uh just one one more uh, before you come back in. Uh, he was a very mm-hmm. elegant uh, suitor, a very impressive uh, one. Uh, Xi Jinping is uh, uh, is a very very impressive man and uh, leader. But it it takes two to tango. Uh, what makes you think that Joe Biden, who couldn't contain himself in his characterization of China, of the president, of its leadership. For him, it's an oriental dictatorship. Uh, What makes you think he's interested in dancing? You know, for that comments, China's foreign minister of foreign affairs already condemned that. But that little things should not stop. Uh, We see the bigger picture. Um, So, so far, there are a lot of announcements on cooperation. And for example, both sides agree on cooperation in trade technology, in dealing with climate change, less economic war, less provocations on the Taiwan issue. These are the announcements. But oh, if they really can be delivered, this will bring a new era to U.S.-China relations if both sides put their words into actions. But from my standpoint, I think it really depends on whether the U.S. can deliver, can, can put all these words into, into actions. For example, as we remember a year ago at the Bali meeting, both sides also reached a certain agreement, but the U.S. didn't follow it. Um, but I'm having a little bit more confidence into this because um, right before this meeting, People from all fields, from China and U.S., have been laying the groundwork uh, for this meeting with two leaders. I can I can draw a bigger picture for everybody else here. To before the two leaders met in San Francisco, there were al- already a lot of exchanges between in different fields from from U.S. and China. For example, California politician, California governor visited China, multiple cities, visited business, uh, different businesses. And actually, he was uh, quite respectful when he was in China. One of the few American politicians that were actually being <laughs> respectful when they were in China. And also, uh, there were a lot of exchanges between ac- academia and uh, the like on people's level. Many scholars from U.S. have been visiting China. Uh, many scholars from China have been visiting the U.S. So there were all, already a lot of exchanges between different levels before this meeting happened. And this time. Uh, so that laid groundwork for the two leaders to meet. Of course, uh, and many people have been telling me, don't blindly trust them. Of course, I'm pretty sure China's leadership is smart enough to not blindly trust that. And I know we understand this is probably a U.S. tactical retreat because they got their hands full. But at least for now, it will bring us stability, and especially the stability and the growth in Asia Pacific region. So the, this is meeting, I think it's not just good for China and the US, it's good for 
entire Asia Pacific meeting, as many experts, economic experts said, well, especially in leading this region, they don't want to choose sides between China and US. The, and it, it's, it will be a tough decision because you cannot leave China's market. In, and you cannot leave out China in any multinational organizations now. So countries in this region don't want conflicts. They want to see that both sides work together. And at the meeting, at the welcome meeting, regardless of what Joe Biden behaved, you know, America's top 20 American business, including Apple, Tim Cook, Elon Musk, all these top 20 American business leaders attended this welcome dinner. And uh, some experts, some people said probably even U.S. presidents will not be able to call all those important CEOs together. But this meeting between the two presidency was able to bring all these important business leaders together to sit down because they want to see a cooperation. And another thing I want to see is this is not just economic cooperation. I think I really, uh, I can't not agree more what President Xi said at this meeting is the, the friendship between China and the U.S. lay, lies on the people and depends on the youth. Um, so this time he brought a message that we want to boost people to people exchanges, which will determine the future, not just China U.S. relations, probably China and the rest of the world's relationship. Um, for example, this time, he uh, more direct flights between China and U.S. will be resumed. More climate change exchange will be resumed. And also China invites 50,000 American students to study, to visit China in the next five years. And more exchanges. And in the U.S., he also met with a group of longtime China friends. Uh, when I say China friends, they are the ones, for example, the Flying Tiger Soldiers. They were the American soldiers who fight with the Chinese soldiers during World War II, defeat the imperious Japanese soldiers. He also met with the, uh, the family in Iowa, who was the first family that President Xi met with when he went to United States. Uh, and also the, the family members of the first U.S. correspondent in China uh, when China was going through revolution. Those people, they are American, American people that have been working towards the friendship between China and U.S. So he welcomed all those people to help them to play a role boosting the, the relationship, friendship between China and U.S. And this is important because like from my experience, uh, I stayed in San Francisco and Los Angeles, Los Angeles in the past 10 days. I tried, I went to multiple universities, UCLA, UC Berkeley, uh, San Francisco State University, and I talked to American people from different fields. And it's, it's, shocking to me that when I ask them, uh, what do you know about China? Or what's the first thing pop-ups in your mind when, when mentioning, when mentioning China? Most of them don't know anything about China. Like, even you say food or, or, or kung fu or panda, I think that's enough. But basically they have zero knowledge about China. And if there is something that pops up in their mind about China, it's always the negative things. Someone told me, oh, COVID. Someone said, well, competition. It's always the negative things. So that shows how the propaganda, the information war that launched by the U.S., the, the Western, mainst Western mainstream media uh, like that have been working to the, to the populations here. Uh, I saw you just tweeted uh, about it in the last moments. Uh, the mm -hmm. uh, extraordinary decision, you can say extraordinary, 
I think a very important one, uh, of the Arab delegation mm -hmm. from the Joint Arab League OIC uh, working group uh, seeking to bring about an end to the, to the onslaught on, on Gaza. They're headed uh, not to Washington, still less to London or Paris. Uh, they're headed to China. This is very significant. And how do you think they'll be received in China? What might happen? I think this is a major step. And this was announced right after President uh, flew back to China from the United States. So, I mean, look at the efforts to making progress, to making peace from China's leadership. First, stabilize the tensions between the U.S., stabilize the tensions in Asia Pacific. Now, they are stepping in to solve the crisis in the Middle East. And this is a, I mean, if this really works, this will change the world. I'm, I'm not worrying about whether China will be the top, world top leader. When I was in America in the past few days, I walked into multiple protests, events that showing support for Palestine. And this is the international will. And you have, I mean, it's interesting. Only China has been seen as the trustworthy mediator for this conflict. I, I just think that this is like interesting moment. I don't know what's going to happen next because we, uh, let's, let's see. But, uh, I hope this will provide a solution to solve the crisis that has been so crushing to all of us and provide a just settlement for Palestinians. And um, if this really happened, we probably can really bring peace to the world and truly achieve a win-win solution for all, not just for China and the US, really for all. And people, no matter whether you are in the Middle East, Africa, Latin America, Asia, we're probably gonna finally have the rights to develop that the right that has been denied for centuries by Western imperial powers. So I hope this works. And we let's all hope that we can walk into a new world order. God willing, and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure you've got many fine diplomats in uh, the United States, but few uh, can talk and look as good as you. Li Jingjing, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, on the line is a legend, Erobus, in New York on Palestine. Erobus, welcome. Salutations and greetings, Mr. Galloway. Thank you, Bill. And it is my way. I need to uplift yourself, your beautiful family, supporters, and your patrons from around the world. Two very quick highlights, because time is always against us at this hour. I was concerned for your health for a period of two weeks, because I noticed you were, you know, Mother Nature was trying to insist you take some time off. And I was concerned, um, and even though you have five scions and the magnificent Gayatri Galloway, there's still only one George Galloway, which, which segues into my second highlight of 
you know, you are potentially throwing your hat into the mayoralty of the old London town. Um, you know, it, you're just one person. This is this is surprising to me. You know, we need leaders, and we know we need leaders, and it always seems to fall upon the hardened, worn shoulders of yourself and maybe Chris Williamson in the entire Anglosphere that I can see, people who are anti-establishment, you know, traditional leftists. And, you know, people think they're going to live stream their way out of this. They're going to retweet their way out of this. We have no leaders. We have people who are comfortable making a dollar and getting subscriptions. And we're not going to get anywhere like that. You know, and the, the main point of why I, I called, it was important for me to say those two things because I've been holding it in for quite a few weeks. The main point is, I think based on uh, your analysis and um, Scott Ritter and Brian Belletic and, and um, also um, Alex Christoforo, the Alexander, I come to the conclusion that unlike before, when the Arab world was disunified and fractured, for Israel, and it highlights a lot of what's been said already, for Israel, for them to permanently conquer the strip that they have cleared out, they're going to be sitting on a throne of, of thorns strapped, you know, and they're going to have explosives strapped to that throne. I don't think it's going back ever to how it was again, and it was already atrocious. I think them sitting there thinking they're going to dominate this area, the surrounding Arab countries are not going to have that. I mean, you have Houthi rebels from way in Yemen firing on them on a daily basis. This is only going to yeah, escalate yeah. based on historical precedent. We saw that with the uh, Iraqi resistance. We, there, there are old letters of Osama bin Laden trending on TikTok now. There, you know, and, and you know, in Afghanistan, all these different places. It takes a while for the resistance to coagulate and to come together, but it's going to happen. And this time, they're facing a unified populace of the Arab world. Even though, as Garland highlighted, on the on the on the rulership level, they want to do business as usual. But the populace, the Arab populace. The neighboring regions have been unified in a way that we have never seen. I mean, you'd have to go back to the Ottoman Empire, pre, pre, um, you know, the guy from the movie, you know, you know, what I'm talking about um, the one that pre Lawrence of Arabia, yeah, yes, yeah. to see that unity. Yeah. So pre, I just wanted to highlight this. Yeah. Well, you did very powerfully, and I'm uh, deeply grateful and moved by your kind remarks. I did have a cold uh, for a couple of weeks, but I'm tip-top now by the grace of God. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going for a brisk swim right after this show. Uh, so um, I'm grateful for what you said, uh, but I also agree entirely with the analysis that you made. There's all, always a lot of talk uh, in the media, in government circles, about the need to curb radicalization, the radicalization of our young people the radicalization of Muslim people, the radicalization uh, of other peoples of color traditionally uh, oppressed. How radicalizing do they think the last 40 days have been? If you were a young Muslim anywhere in the world, how radical are you feeling right now? How radical are you feeling about what's happening to your co-religionists being massacred 
like fish in a battle with nowhere to escape. How radical do you feel about your own government and your own state endlessly supporting this massacre, this genocide? How radical do you feel about the American government, the British government, the French, the German government? I'd hazard a guess that you are boiling with radicalism, that you are boiling with radical rage. The idea that any of this makes anybody anywhere in the entire world safer than they were 40 days ago is so insane. You really wonder how apparently sane people can believe it. Last call, Hashem in New Jersey. He's got a solution. Let's hear it. Hi, Go George. ahead, Hashem. Uh, yeah, Hashem, how are you? Uh, I have, I think Hisham, I have a, sort of a, a, a solution for sir. I'm, I'm an American Egyptian, but yesterday, last night, I saw, uh, I, I played that twice, and I saw it first time uh, about two or three years ago. And I don't know if you know the, the good man or not, but it is Robert D. Crane, Robert Dixon Crane. He was the uh, advisor on the National Security Council for President uh, Nixon. Uh, I, I, I attended a uh, 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 keynote speaking by, uh, yeah, I, I attended uh, uh, Dr. Crane's, uh, he's at first a lawyer, a Harvard trained lawyer. He started the uh, international um, uh, law, uh, you know, a Harvard uh, University uh, program. Yesterday, that program on YouTube, I think everybody who speaks English and is interested in the Palestinian issue should watch that program. I don't know if you know the man. Uh, his talk that I saw yesterday twice after four or five years is about compassionate justice. He's very well written about, uh, first he's a Muslim, and his speech was in the Rumi luncheon uh, about 12 years ago. And uh, in that uh, speech of one hour, 20 minutes, he addressed uh, the issue of uh, Islamic, what terms, he called them extremist, and he used actually an Arabic term. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but he was trying to explain about how to um, to um, combat terrorism. But in that in that talk, which is should be listened to everybody on the planet who speaks English and it can be translated. He has also mentioned that he was the advisor of Ahmed Yusuf, one of the leaders of Hamas. One of two leaders started Hamas. He was advisor to President Nixon, and I don't know if Ahmed Yusuf is killed. I don't know who he is, but he he was talking about compassionate justice, and he didn't specifically address, and he said in that talk yesterday that he doesn't, uh, you know, address the issue of Palestine because not because it's complicated, but the issue is justice is absent from our world. And I saw in the beginning of the show today that you were talking to a Chinese lady and you mentioned something about the Arab uh, League or something going to China. The, 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 the solution of this Palestinian problem, number one, is Britain, England, China, France and uh, uh, 
the other one would be Russia, giving out veto power in the United Nations. Second, if they didn't do that, the Arab world or the shameful, you know, uh, attitude of Muslim world now and the Arab League, they should, along with all the countries that, uh, you know, cut relations with Israel, withdraw from the United Nations and go and have a new United Nations in South Africa or something in Cape Town, and, and that would be the beginning of the solution. The third point of that is one country, it, it is called Palestine, not Israel, because Israel, current Israel is two things. Was stolen by the people of Israel for a, a, a land with no people, for a people with no land, which is a big lie. Everybody knows about that. The second issue, the name Israel, is the name of a decent and uh, great prophet we believe in, Prophet Jacob, and he distilled that name. That country has nothing to do with Israel. Third, you know, next is that the, the amount of patience, the Palestinian, 11,000, 15,000 killed, 5,500 5, children killed. These people are following up in the footsteps of the prophet Israel, Jacob. In chapter 12 of the Quran, he mentions good patient. He, he mentions beautiful patient. And I'm sorry, I'll, I'm, I'm going to use a term, it's, it's bad, but you can say, I'm goddamn patient. I'm so beautiful patient is the patient that the Prophet Muhammad, you know, recommended that when you're hit with calamity, you say what the Palestinians say in Arabic, and I know you know some Arabic, inna lillahu wa inna ilayhi rajoon. We belong to God and we, to whom we return. We return. We're all yeah. slaves of well, God. Well, look, Hisham, uh, we've run out of time. Uh, so, uh, uh, much as I found what you had to say very interesting, we'll have to draw it to a conclusion. We didn't quite get to your solution, but I'm sure we'll check out what Mr. Crane had to say. It's been marvelous uh, for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, come back again on Wednesday at the slightly later time of 9 p.m. UK. That's Wednesday at 9 p.m. UK time. And bring another viewer with you because we're just under 3 million views in the last seven days. I'm determined to stay above it. Thanks very much.